0: As you settle in today for our time in God's Word, I'd love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And this morning we're going to visit verses 1 through 4 on this Mother's Day, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Now, a couple of things as we head toward the text. Uh, I want to as well add my voice of greeting to all of our ladies with a happy Mother's Day to all of you over the last couple of days as most of you who are local and in our church directory know uh, we have had a team of about 16 people uh, headed out into the community dropping off flowers to all of our ladies we didn't hit 100 percent though we tried some gated communities and some address issues uh, tripped us up like buster's ears but we made a valiant effort to, to stop by the homes of each of our ladies to say, we honor you and thank God for you. And that's something we do on Mother's Day, one of our opportunities to express our value for, for all of our ladies, whether you're biologically a mom or not. We value and esteem you and thank God for you. And so that was our, that was our attempt this week, and I'm grateful uh, for, for hitting about, I think, 98%. Um, we'll take it. Also, I wanted to say a word of thanks for your interaction uh, from last week's sermon. I, I said a whole number of things about different lenses through which we view culture and society and all the things going on around us, and a number of you have inter- interacted with me on those topics very helpfully, and I'm grateful for that. I hope you'll continue to, to keep processing all that, and uh, some of you have taken a look at our sermon notes, and I reference under review uh, some of the things we mentioned last week. My My warning about the thinking that says that all good Christians will agree with me on whatever non-biblical topic I am addressing. And I just continue to see that run rampant through churches across America and indeed around the world. Everyone, if they knew what I know, would see it like I do. So I just continue to, to be concerned about that and trust God to help us all. And then one other thing as we head toward the text, I want to say a quick word of thanks to whatever masked man Dropped off donuts for our uh, for our projection crew here a little bit ago that was very kind i 'm not sure who you were, but you know who you are and uh, thank you for that uh, The chocolate raised donut was outstanding. Thank you for that well colossians three uh, one through four is where we 're going to be today and uh, i want to I want to head us toward the text more specifically by by reading uh, part of an article or blog from a young lady, guest contributor to a, a larger ministry, and we've posted this entire article on our church Facebook page, I believe is where it is, and some of you will want to read all of it. But this young lady is talking about the adjustments to motherhood, and uh, so I'm just going to read the first couple of paragraphs. Her her title is, The Inefficient Ministry Of motherhood. And I I share this because the thoughts that she talks about translate into your life, whether you're a mom or not. So pay attention to this as we begin and then end our time today with some things from her. So she says this, quoting someone else Two year olds take time, she told me. He was my first, and I had not expected motherhood to consume quite so much time and emotion. And of course, all the moms right now are smiling. The energy and life I had previously invested into eternity-worthy endeavors were now being spent through the inefficiency of motherhood. I've often thought back on this grandmother's wise words, uh, taken a deep breath, and slowed my expectations to a reasonable pace. But I still grow impatient with the sheer time it takes to be a mother, to to cook a warm meal only to know that snack requests begin within 90 minutes at best, to buy and launder clothes, to read storybooks, plan and do homeschool lessons, hear the stories of of Lego inventions, bathe and instruct and buckle in. Especially for those of us with young children, motherhood absorbs the bulk of the labor we would otherwise pour into ministry outside these Crayola smudged walls. A mom in her home can feel shelved by God from real ministry. And you'll hear more from her in a few minutes. The inefficient ministry of motherhood, and especially that last line at this moment, a mom in her home can feel shelved by God from real ministry. Maybe you feel that in other ways today, shelved by God, from things that you, your heart longs to do, I understand. I'm so grateful for the text before us today. It is a corrective to how we often think about life and our own hearts and the world. So I want to pray for us uh, as we come to the text today, and there's special application absolutely to to moms who are caring for kids because we so need to get our minds out of those little mundane things and think, as we're going to see, think on things above. We do. And uh, for all of us, I think this text speaks to us very loudly. So, so pray with me, please, and let's take a look at it together. Our Father, we come to your word with, with great joy and a longing of heart for the Spirit of God to work in us. We, at times, are so occupied with awareness of how we long to see you work in others and work in this world that we forget that our first and greatest need is for you to work in us. And our Father, we come then with humble hearts, saying, Lord, teach me and shape me and humble me. Help me to be more like Christ today. Apply this text to my heart. Help me to see it, not for what I wish someone else would hear, but for what I need in my walk with you. So, Father, help us now wherever we're, we're seated in our homes and our kitchens and in this state or around the world. Uh, Father, meet with us now as a church community. Grateful for your presence among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have found our sermon notes. They're posted on our website and uh, some of you are able to print those and have those in front of you and others I know uh, struggle with that and and, uh, I think you'll be able to, to, to track with us even if you do not have those handy with you. But Colossians 3, 1 through 4, uh, we come to a new chapter, but it's really a continuation, as we'll see, of the same thought as Paul in this letter is laying out an argument, and specifically he is taking the gospel and applying it to our lives and asking us to live into the gospel, to understand it and to believe it and then live it, and he's just working that through all kinds of different areas. We've seen that in the past couple paragraphs, and then as we move into chapter 3, he, he begins to talk about the battlefield that is most important to all of us, whether we realize it or not, and that's the battlefield within us. In our own hearts, the things we long for, in our own minds, we're often most aware of battlefields out there, thinking that the work of the church and my own involvement should always be to take on, to take on things out there. And sometimes we do that and forget that, that God's most important battlefield for each of us is inside of us. Our own hearts, so that's really where Paul's going today, and I'm excited about this text and very grateful that we get to talk about it together today. So I want to read it, Colossians three, one through four, and then we'll we'll look at it together. Um, and I, I trust God's hand as we as we do this. God's word, then Colossians three. We read this: If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's our text for the day as we look together at the word of God well, I want to do this under two different headings, and uh, if you look at the text uh, it 's not going to be broken up in a nice little handy uh, outline, I suppose, as you might think about it. I, I want to comment about the first phrase and then all the rest. so really, those are my those are my two headings and with that first phrase, then if then you 've been raised with Christ, I have this on your study notes, if you have them handy, under this heading, through what lens?" will you engage life? That's my heading for this. Through what lens will you engage life? Last week I spoke about various lenses through which we view the current needs going on around us. And I'm asking, uh, again, uh, using that same terminology, about how we look at life, each of us now, as individuals. And of course, in this text, uh, Paul uses a lot of plurals, We typically read this text as individualistic people. We tend to read all of these things about just me and Jesus. And Paul, again, he's speaking about y'all, which is why minds is plural in verse 2, by the way. He's calling all of us as church community, church family, to think, to think a certain way. And I'm asking that through what lens will you engage life and will we engage life as a church family? And we again, we talked about some of that last week. But, but Paul here says, "If you if then you've been raised with Christ, and that's a platform that both ties us to what, what precedes and leads us forward. What I mean by that is this: Paul is fleshing out the implications of the gospel. He's doing it relentlessly, paragraph by paragraph. And so when Paul says, "If you've been raised with Christ, he's, he's pushing your eye backward. And talking about the things that he's, he's just worked through in chapter one with the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and into chapter two where he says, if you're a child of God, when Christ died on the cross, you died with him. When he was raised from the dead, you were raised with him. Your life is in fact a part of Christ. You, you belong to him. You're in him. So. I say here then, if you again have it in front of you, there's no more fundamental battlefield for the Christian than for the battle for how we how we view and interact with life. And a number of questions are right here, such as asking the question, what things truly matter? What things really matter? When you get up in the morning and you have a day ahead of you and, and your life, what things matter? Because I think most of us, at the end of the day, life's day, we want to say, I did some things that matter. And so this text pushes us in that, that direction. What things, I ask, are worth the investment of my life and my passion and my time here on earth. Again, I don't want to I don't want to spend my years at the end of which and just say, Well he had a good time. Uh, life isn't always about having a good time. We all want to I hope, we want to do something that matters. And then my third question, again, looking at it similarly, what things do I want people to remember about me when my truly short time here is done? What do I want it said of me? And again, I, you know me well enough if you listen and share worship with us regularly. You know I'm not against hobbies and rose gardens and planting flowers and all manner of things, not against any of that. I'm just saying the, the core passions of your life, the investment of your best energy and your best years. But what is all that about? And at the end of life's day, do you do you really want it said of you, well, he had had a nice lawn. And again, you have a nice lawn. I, I hope you do. But is that it? And this text presses us in that direction, uh, reminding us about the most important thing about us. And I, I take this another step further because the, the whole text is built on this. If you've been raised with Christ and I, I reflect with you here, uh, we tend to view ourselves in different ways, and it is so important biblically, if you're a child of God, that you view your relationship to God through Christ as the most important thing about you. That's, that's really what undergirds this entire text, what is most important about you, I mentioned here as you some of you see in front of you here the predominant culture in which most of us live has has has, has taught us to ask people fairly often as we meet them culturally acceptable way to do things to say what's your name etcetera et cetera. and what do you do That's the way in our in our typical culture as most of us live here in America we we that's an acceptable cultural question what do you do and there's nothing wrong with finding out if somebody's a, a school teacher or a lawyer or whatever it is that they do for a living, nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's different from how other cultures uh, often ask people to identify themselves. I ran across this uh, whole cultural shift when I was 17. Uh, now, boy, 40 years ago or so, um, I, was, I spent a summer in north-central BC, Canada, Uh, working with First Nations folks, uh, what we would call Native Americans, but in Canada, of course, First Nations. And I I discovered for the first time that cultures really think different and use words different. We were all speaking English, but, but we use words different, different inflections and reflections and ways of communicating. And one of the questions that was most important in that culture wasn't so much what you do, but get this, please, To whom do you belong? That is, what what tribe or clan group do you belong to? In a a native culture, as with many around the world, many other cultures, to whom do you belong is a more important fundamental question than what do you do. Here in our culture, we ask, "What do you do?" Sometimes, uh, I hope inadvertently ascribing value to a person based on the worthiness of their job or their life pursuit or the money they make or whatever other metric we use to evaluate. What do you do? There's just why parents, when their kids grow up and head out into the world, uh, if, you're, if your child says, well, I'm hoping to do whatever it is and it's not esteemed well, sometimes parents say, oh, no, you should become this Hopefully something with a title or that makes money or can care for us in our old age or something like that. I'm just pressing on this way in which people view themselves and how Christians should view themselves. And really, I appreciate this, the way in which these other cultures sometimes lead. To whom do you belong, child of God? To whom do you belong? I think that's, for the way we view our lives, really a more important question than what do you do? to whom do you belong? And I think that's what the first phrase in Colossians 3 is about. If then you've been raised with Christ, that is, to whom do you belong? How, through what lens, I ask, will you, will you engage life? Well then, Paul moves into the rest of this little paragraph, and as you glance at the text with me, you see uh, two parallel words So in verse one, he says, then building on that first phrase, seek the things that are above. And then if you look at the beginning of verse two, set your mind on the things that are above, or if you were to grammatically take that apart, the above things, set your minds on these things, what things, the above things would be another way to rearrange the words and and provide a little different nuance that would be accurate. Seek the things, the above things. Set your minds on the above things. And again, plurals are used, imperative, it's a command, and it's present. Some of your translations, in fact, uh, use a phrase like keep on seeking or keep seeking the things above because they're trying to capture the ongoing nature of this. It isn't something you just do one morning and you're done. So... As part of the Christian, as the Christian life unfolds, no, seek the things that are above. Keep on doing that. This is going to be a struggle for you, a battle. You've got to do it. Keep on seeking the things above and keep on setting your minds, church family. Keep setting your minds on the above things. So commands then. Now, I note again on your your study notes, I put these thoughts under the heading, learn to seek and see things that are truly true. Learn to seek and see things that are truly true. And I realize there's a certain, uh, tongue-in-cheek here, repetitive redundancy uh, in saying truly true. I mean, true is true, right? And again, I lean on Francis Schaefer, who pressed on that term a generation ago, In capitalizing T because truth in our world has come to mean something different. People could have co-opted the word to mean true for me or my truth and things like that. And Schaeffer was just wanting to talk about things that are truly true, actually true, regardless of whether it's your truth or anybody else's. There are things that are actually true. And I think that's what Paul's after here, that we are to keep seeking and keep setting our minds on things that are truly true. Even if you do not understand it or see it, or even today, Believe it, that's his call. Keep on, keep on seeking and seeing the things above. Paul begins again, if then, if then you've been raised with Christ, and he's seeing it as a certainty. Because you've been raised with Christ, child of God, you should do these things. So Now, the big part of this paragraph is Paul spelling out what the above things are that should capture your mind, your heart, and your affections. And so I want to just talk about that too. What are the above things? What are the things that Paul wants you to seek and to set your mind on? That is, to be the controlling thoughts of your heart, to be the things that shape your mind and your passions, to give meaning and purpose to your world. What are those above things? Maybe easily forgotten or, you know, you believe them, sure, but let's get back to real life. No, Paul says these things are real life and they need to capture you. So uh, I have these kind of spelled out again on some notes, but I'll I'll go over them because you may not have that. Again, I look back at the first phrase, raised with Christ, Paul is laying, again, the foundation of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Paul sees that not as ancient history, but as a living reality. The above things begin with Christ in all of the gospel truth, his death, burial, and resurrection. In verse 1, he speaks of Christ seated at the right hand of God. These these above things, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, of course, that right hand of God in, in Scripture is talking about a place of authority and privilege and power. It's a right place to be. Christ not above God, Christ not below God the Father, seated at the right hand, a place of honor and respect and of course this is drawing our minds back to chapter 1 and that wonderful christological paragraph that looks at Christ in his power his preeminence sufficiency Christ seated at the right hand of God further uh, the writer to the hebrews helps us flesh this out a bit Christ seated at the right hand of God not like the priests in the old testament who never were seated who were constantly running around sacrificing another animal and another animal and never another animal Christ the great high priest finished that sacrifice and is seated he is seated at the right hand of god these the above things christ looking down to verse 3 you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god this is part of those above things what does it mean to be to be hidden with christ well the died phrase reflects again the gospel if you're a christian when christ died on the cross you died on the cross when christ was raised you were raised and he says your life is hidden with christ in god in the bible when something is hidden like this it is typically not talking about like hide and seek or something put under a a bucket that you can't find this is a statement of security of something being valued and treasured and protected your life is hidden with Christ in God. Child of God, this is a statement of security. You belong to him. Your life is treasured by him, kept by him. He holds on to you. Even when you or I barely have strength to hold on to him, he holds on to us. Your life is hidden with Christ in God He holds you in his powerful hands. I say that to all of us today who perhaps are are struggling with fear and anxiety and worry and some of these things that consume us. No, your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's got you in his hands. Nothing can come your way but what has already passed before the sovereign eye of God. Nothing can come into your home or into your life or hurt you, make you ill. Nothing can come but what is outside the providential hand of God, the good hand of God. So even today, as we've said in other weeks, the world is not out of control. God has not lost control. He is still on the throne. He still holds things in his hands, including you if you're a child of God. So, so see verse 3 as one of those above things that you ought to really hold on to because Christ is holding on to you. And then verse four, there's more of these above things. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a couple different parts of this. Now, the first phrase, when Christ, who is your life, appears, where's Christ now? Is he not ruling and reigning? Well, he is, in fact. Uh, There's an old song, of course. He's got the whole world. Go ahead, sing it. That was pretty weak. Uh, You didn't see it coming, I know. He's got the whole world in his hands. Well, he does. Now, we don't see him today with our physical eyes. But Paul is saying there's going to be a day when you will. When Christ, who is your life, appears. And then you will see Christ in all of his power. Even in his power now, you'll see him. You'll see him for who he truly is. There is coming that day when you'll see him as he is. John would say, and you'll be like him in that day. You'll see him as he is. Well, he says, on that day, you'll also appear with him in glory. And again, child of God, there is tremendous security in this text. There is a perspective that I hope you hold on to. What you have in front of you today in your life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. This life is is very much a prelude to the next And Paul will say here, as he says over and over again, and John says it, and Peter says it, and Jesus says it. The whole Bible, going back to the Old Testament, uh, speaks of these things. There is coming a day. There is coming a day, very different from this day. In fact, many times our translators in the Bible, you see a capital D, the day, there's coming a day. Yes, when you'll see Christ in all of his glory, and you too will appear with him in glory. And let me tell you, that's a perspective shift. On that day, on that day, again, could happen very, very quickly. That day could come. It might not be for a long time. That big day, the day. Well, on that day, let me tell you something. Your perspective will be radically different than it is now. On that day, there are things that bother you today will be completely gone. The things that you stress about and occupy your time with today, in terms of worry and concern, and oh my goodness, so many things that capture us and drag us down. Those things quickly forgotten. A different day when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Oh man. All of these things, Paul lays out line upon line under the heading, the above things. The above things. This is what he's talking about. Christ, the gospel, gospel truth. You belong to him, security. And he says of these things, those two commands. Seek the things that are above. The above things. Seek them. That is, order your life as if you believe that these above things are really real because they are truly true. So seek these things, uh, the kinds of things that Uh, To borrow a a book title from Erwin Lutzer, 30 Seconds After You Die. It's a book title. You can look it up. Little book. 30 Seconds After You Die. Well, I I want to know this of you. Are you spending your life, your life passions, all the things that God has given you, seeking the things, the above things, so that 30 seconds after you die, you will be abundantly grateful that you sought those things, that they took your time and your passions and you invested there. Are you seeking those things that are above so that 30 seconds after you die, you see the glory of Christ, you'll say, I am so glad I didn't just sit around. I hope you are. Seek the things that are above. And then, again, set your mind on things that are above. I really believe this this setting of our minds, and again, it's plural, set your minds. Church family, followers of Jesus, set your minds on things that are above, these above things, not on things that are on earth. We need to be occupied with things that will matter then truly matter. Then our goal, listen, yes, we live in this world. We're to seek the good of the city in which we live, Jeremiah 29. But at the same time, our mindset must be with the reality that then is more real than now. And that things that will matter for eternity should be the things that, that capture us now with all of our energy and passions Set your minds on those things. Those should be the things that give me hope. So funny, ironically funny. It didn't make me laugh. It made me smile this week. Uh, I have weeks like some of you. Oh, not in the details necessarily of the mundane day-to-day things, but weeks like you with ups and downs and encouraging things and discouraging things and, and busy and slow. All of those things are my life too. And one of the days this week, if you're in our community group, you'll know where I'm going with this because uh, I mentioned it Wednesday night, um, I was occupied with a number of things that were not on the encouraging side. And um, it came time for me to get back to my office and, and sit down and open the Bible and, and get back to sermon work. And I was so occupied with those other things, I, for the moment, had forgotten where we were going this Sunday. And I remember sitting down and and my mind just racing with with, again, some troubled thoughts. And I fiddled around with some papers and said, let's see, what's my sermon title, Cindy? What's my sermon title, Cindy? Well, that's right, the importance of keeping a vertical focus. And I, <laughs> I found myself smiling, thank you, Lord. Because at that moment, I did not have a vertical focus. I had a very horizontal focus. And it was a good corrective to this pastor's heart, uh, Wednesday, uh, the day was, to sit down with the text and say, that's right, that's right, that's right, a vertical focus. Some of the things that trouble me and that trouble you today, will not trouble you or trouble me, always. A vertical focus, I think, is, is something we need to grab a hold of. Now, Again, if you have your sermon notes, I ask you to think with me. How do you seek and see the things above, the above things? What does that mean to, to do it? Well, I give you a, a couple of things. It means you live as if these realities are true, and they are true. It means that you find your identity based on Christ, not your performance. Not just what do you do, but to whom do you belong? It means you measure your life by what truly matters, not by the things you have, collecting stuff, the positions you hold, how people esteem you. What will everyone think? What will all my Facebook family think if they find out this? Oh, my goodness. It means you measure your day by, by what will matter 30 seconds after you die, not by the metrics of an unbelieving world. And then, again, it means that, that you know there's coming a day when the price tags will be switched, and I, I'm leaning again on a, a writer in a book title from a generation ago. Tony Campolo uh, wrote a book, I think it was him, called Someone Switched the Price Tags. And he was just playing off of this in this world where like somebody going through a store and switching price tags and something that's worth $500 is $3.99. And his, his point was there's coming a day when the price tags will all be switched back where they belong. And the things that are truly valuable will be clear, and the other things that really are two ninety nine at the dollar store. Or no, don't hear me speak bad about them. Um, we'll see the difference between what is truly valuable and the things that aren't. I hope that that's evident in your own life and how you value things and how your heart works. That you'll see those things that are above. Under the section called "Responding to God's Word." I would encourage you to go to Philippians 3:17 to 21 where you have a, another parallel text from the apostle Paul where he just lays his heart bare and tells you things that make him weep and he gives you his perspective as a citizen of heaven. And I, I that's a that's a really helpful text. I I I value it deeply and would love to have you look at it and reflect on it as well. Philippians three, seventeen to twenty-one. Philippians three, seventeen through twenty-one. And then I I also reflect with you here in the section called Responding to God's Word, asking, Do you sometimes get trapped by the pursuit of of efficiency? Or as you see me right here, the thoughtless application of best practices that do not reflect a a Christ-centered worldview. And I I realize I'm stepping into a business world here where people often talk about best practices, and I understand the term, I do, and I value it, but I'm just saying that a lot of times best practices do not reflect Christ practices. So I'm just pushing back there a little bit. Uh, I, I hear things often, even in church leadership, well, best practices would indicate And right at that moment, you lost me because that isn't really my paradigm. Uh, I want to know about it, but that doesn't drive me because sometimes Christ, Christ values are not the same as best practices. Uh, Something to think about. You can send me a note about that later. Well, I want to draw our thoughts together by coming back to Amanda, Chris, and the article that I began with today, The Inefficient Ministry of Motherhood, because I think her, her closing sections summarize Colossians 3, 1 to 4, in a helpful way. And so she says this, doesn't our labor for the kingdom feel inefficient and cumbersome in our flesh? Again, she's talking about motherhood. Doesn't our labor for the kingdom feel inefficient and cumbersome to our flesh? She says, oh, I can think of more efficient kingdom work than motherhood and nursery care in my dear, wiggly, three-year-old church class. I can come up with more efficient ways to grow our church than with vacation Bible schools or a day camp, Sunday school classes equipped for children with special needs, and mothers filling sippy cups and packing diaper bags on Sunday mornings. And I can think of more efficient ways to grow the kingdom than to bury a mother's talents and gifts and energies into her few who take so much time. She says, yes, I can make a list of ways to serve God more efficiently. If, that is, the kingdom kingdom work can be wrought in my flesh by giving in to demonic lies that echo the serpent of old who casts doubts on God's ways. Speaking of the devil, whom will you copy? Will you copy the satanic ambition to make myself like the most high? Or will you copy Jesus who said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. She writes, it is gloriously true. Jesus uses inefficient means. Working through those who follow him into a grave of laboring sacrificially and faithfully in the dark, it proves to us and to a watching world that the power and sufficiency is of him and not of ourselves. I want to say uh, these things as I draw my thoughts to a conclusion. First, if you're a, a, a mom at home or a dad at home, uh, by the way, and you find yourself, uh, my goodness sake, some days overwhelmed with, with diapers and spilled food, and it's clean, but you've got to wipe it again. And I know, sometimes just lost in this inefficient world, thinking, is this it? Is this my life? And it, it is for a period of time. But I I want you to to just be encouraged that God sees you right where you are and those mundane things are so valuable in God's big kingdom. And to all the others of us who maybe it isn't with kids and inefficient things like that, that often find ourselves uh, feeling like we're on some kind of a hamster wheel too. Does it matter? What does it matter? How does this work? listen, God, God is working in us. And yes, God is working through us. And sometimes God's kingdom work, you might say, well, that wasn't very efficient. Man, would we, did we fight the right battle here? Well, you know what? God isn't doing things the way that the world says, and he's not necessarily doing things the way that you think he should either. And today, again, we say, Lord, have your way with me. You know, show me how to spend the time and talents you've given me, my days, to where they matter 30 seconds after I die. A vertical focus. A vertical focus i 'm going to pray for us here in a moment, <clears throat> but I, I want to know, want you to know too that as i as I pray I, I want to remember in prayer all of us on this mother 's day because this day, as with other days that draw to to mind family issues and emotional issues, it comes with a whole flood of other of feelings it does um, Mother's Day, for, for many, is a day of, of, as we saw in the little video earlier, sticky fingers and little kids, and it's wonderful. And we run around outside in the backyard in the sprinkler, and it's just great. Uh, for others, there are our memories of moms or grandmas or mom figures to us who are no longer with us. This is our first Mother's Day with neither of our moms. And uh, others come to Mother's Day and other holidays like this uh, with what they feel are very very quiet and private feelings of regret or sadness or loss for other reasons. And I just want you to know, whether, wherever you're at on the spectrum, you're not alone. In this church family, there are others walking that same path with you, and Christ knows right where you're at today, and he sees your heart and he loves you. You belong to him. So I want to pray for us, and then I have just a couple words of announcement, and, and we'll be done for the day. But pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word today. And this call to set our minds on things above, seek things that are above. And Father, we need this. This is the daily battle that belongs to every single one of us because our our minds are so quickly drawn in other directions. Would you help us? Would you help us to be just flooded and captured by the gospel and things that truly matter? That the way that we live and the words that come from our mouth and the attitudes with which we live, that it would reflect things that are truly true and really real. So help us here. Father, my mind as well today goes to our church family. Those today, uh, for whom today is, is just a, a happy time and wonderful memories and warmth and good emotion. And I thank you for that. Those things are a gift from you. And I pray as well for others who are captured by grief or loss or resentment or abandonment or all kinds of other things. And really, there are more people in that camp than, than we might think. And I pray today for them those men and women alike that you would encourage and lift up and be the salve to those wounds that are really real. Help us this day, our Father, to set our minds on the above things. Thank you, Lord, for this time together today. In Jesus' name, amen.